0: Hi, this is Aaron Asrod, and welcome to the 52nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. An often misunderstood stream of belief that has gained popularity in recent years are religions that fall under the umbrella of paganism. In fact, the term pagan was a term often used by Christians to describe other religions that did not fall under the traditional Abrahamic belief system. However, The term is now widely used to describe anything from fortune tellers to people who practice Wicca. But what exactly is paganism? And does it present a worldview completely at odds with Judeo-Christian belief? Our media has done a very poor job, often portraying worshippers as either belonging to some type of elite cult that practice sacrificing animals, or as being a bunch of teenagers that are just a little bit too much into Magic the Gathering. Fair and accurate representations of those who may subscribe to a pagan style of belief remain few and far between. Joining me, however, to give us an introduction to paganism and perhaps clear some of the misconceptions that I may personally have picked up over the years, is Fedra, a tarot card reader, musician, and someone familiar with paganism. Fedra, I'm envisioning us having a wonderful discussion today.
1: Uh, my my perspective is that. Paganism is very much how you said, pretty much anyone that is worshiping more than one all seeing God, all knowingness of God. So, this mm. is many gods. So, we can go into Native Americans, we can go into Greek and Roman, you know, we can go into Norse and Cut and, uh, Celtic, I believe. So it's, it's really such a broad umbrella, like you said, that you know we can go into many different directions.
0: So one it's definitely lady... a, a polytheism like religion.
1: Yes, and uh, one lady I was listening to recently also was saying, do we consider Hinduism a part of that? And when I thought of that, I was like, that is a great question, but we would say that it is their own structure. Hmm. Do We put that part of paganism. So that's also a part where it's very confusing of like, do we like, how do you really categorize it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, because I think Eastern religions are a thing onto themselves. So like, like paganism, it's almost as if we talk about polytheistic religions that existed only in Europe, right? Am am I right in saying that?
1: It's very popular that we know of that, not in East or uh, Asian culture or in, in India as well. Like we don't, we don't really know, or we don't dive into that part. It's really known for, you know, witches and for folklore and for, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and they, they, you know, create Greek mythology that we're all like a love and addicted to the tragedy of it, you know, but then we don't think of, is that something that in past that we really embraced as, as a belief in, and I'm talking just in humanity's sake, sorry, I like to talk very, you know, broad. Because, <laughs> you know, we see in, you know, I'm a huge film fan, so I'm gonna be describing a lot of stuff with films so people can get that visionary part. But one thing I th- thought was very um, beautiful and simple in the movie, The Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. When he had small miniature statues of his deities and he buried them with his family and so that's not very a a thing that's practiced now but in christianity we have images of jesus of mother mary of those saints but for some reason that's not considered
0: similar Mm, mm. that's different now this is you're actually touching upon something very interesting because in a way without even knowing it, all of us have been exposed to paganism when we read Greek mythology, when we read about Zeus, when we read about all of these Greek gods. I'm wondering why it is in our education system, we always just refer to that as Greek mythology, and we never refer to it as paganism.
1: I think it's because of also the negative connotations that we have of paganism. We wouldn't want to say that we're teaching children about witchcraft and about you know, believing in multiple things and, and worshiping the elements. That's not science. Why would be we worshiping, you know, the elements of, of the seasons and the harvest when I think it's something very much to embrace. I think that's what was very misunderstood by Native Americans. Mm. They not only worshiped their harvest, they worshiped their ancestors. They worshiped, you know, the seasons changing. They worshiped the animals and they actually prayed when they killed something that was practiced throughout it wasn't just a few holidays and call it a day.
0: <laughs> now that's interesting because we we because we obviously in western culture we love the greeks we absolutely love them and we think that they were just filled to the brim with absolute wisdom but when we think about it there's things like oracles and and signs and all this other stuff but it's almost as if, like, if we use the word paganism, it has, like you just said, a negative connotation and that it somehow gets clumped in with witchcraft. But it's just interesting that we kind of discriminate as between, like, good paganism and bad paganism. And if something is good paganism, we just call it, oh, that's that's not paganism. That's Greek mythology.
1: Nicely decorated, right? Yeah, just, yeah. Just a different word, different title, you know. And, and then there's all these imageries in Greek mythology that is throughout in christianity as well you know the spears the mm. shields the crowns you know the gowns right and it's all there like and i'm and i'm not trying to be like hey you know can you see the similarity it's just about we are fascinated with it by this imagery by this belief and yet it's something that you kind of read and put away and go toward christianity if you are you know, a Christian. If you practice paganism, it's it's something that I've seen where you're more open to accepting of all other religious structures.
2: Mm, mm.
1: And that's something I've seen in attitudes with people that, and, I, and I, I'm not discounting that. If you really truly feel that this structure helps you, then so be it. It's the push of this is the structure that only works and it's that's that's the theme that i've seen that in 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 paganism if you want to call it light paganism or good paganism i've seen that not happen
0: the key word here is this word mythology here so i think if we called it pagan mythology it would probably have like such a greater acceptance in our society it's only when we call something a religion that we see it in competition with judaism or christianity or any of that other stuff so i think i think it's like it, it, it's basically we can gain wisdom from it, but because it has like pagan religion, oh, that's that's like competition. That's like, you know, McDonald's being like, oh, that's a Burger King over there. That's our direct competition. But right. if we call something mythology, then it's like, oh, well, we don't have to take this as seriously. And therefore we can read as much as we want about it because it's not in competition with our direct belief structure.
1: I think it also states more that it's ancient past.
0: yes, so yes.
1: Forgotten, something not practiced. Whereas religious scripture and religious text is practiced in the now since then. It's the way it always has been. So that kind of ultimatum also can be very, you know, scary for someone who's just wanting to look. I mean, I've seen comments on videos where people are just like well i practiced this but i was just curious to watch this video it's like <laughs> you wouldn't say that if you if you were reading a greek mythology book
0: yeah or no, you don't watch the titans you and know the, and the other thing is is that like in greek and roman mythology they actually use the word gods with like a with a with a plural s over there which is you know polytheism and is definitely a direct contradiction of of like the monotheistic beliefs of Abrahamic religions, but that somehow is okay. That's okay. Even Walt, like I'll give you an example. Disney has made a movie about Hercules, right? And that's like totally fine, but I bet if they tried to make a movie about some pagan. See, I'm so I'm so like um inept in the subject, like I can't even use anybody that comes to mind. But if they use some uh, probably a pagan archetypal figure, they probably get flack for it.
1: Oh, I got you. In <laughs> uh, the princess and, and the frog movie. It's in New Orleans and the Tarot Reader is evil.
0: Oh, whoa, yeah. wow.
1: Yes. Now they have they have a practicing paganist woman. I think I don't know what her name was but they called her mama and she's in a white gown and she lives in the middle of the swamp mm. and because she was around the, all the animals and everything she was good Yeah, and it showed that in not only their demeanor and what they said and they practiced but they also showed that uh, in imagery that he was in black and red and yeah. she was in white which ah. was very interesting too with the gown and the difference in that also
0: you're, you're that making me think everything as a kid because now now that I think of all these Disney movies there is like if you think of like the witch in in Snow White and in Cinderella there is like a cauldron and there's this like obviously like it's she's not described directly as being a pagan but it's this idea that she's practicing some otherness there's like an otherness to her religious beliefs that are sinister in nature so i think that this is something that yes. pervades our nature and it, they may not use like you know the disney people probably Aren't going to use the word pagan to a bunch of like six year olds, but there's this idea that like this person is practicing something that you shouldn't be practicing.
1: Oh yes, in um, in Sleeping Beauty, uh, Maleficent was a sorceress. Mm. In Snow White, it, it was a queen who was a witch, and of course, in both, they portrayed and I know we're going into a different subject when I say this, but I got to say it as a woman, they paint this beautiful, powerful woman, and then within the same token, they shift her into being this awful, vile, ugly, powerful thing. Hmm. Wanting to tamper with the youth. And, and I really think that is a theme. And in, in, uh, when people claim you are a witch of any sort, or you, pra- you practice Wicca so automatically, you're going down a deceitful route. Yeah. And in fact, it's like I wish there would be more conversation because there we we have seen in 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 terrible light what has happened in the Catholic Church and things that have been done that were deceitful in that own religious context. So, but we were not, we are not going to stay that all Christians are like that, or will do those things. So why is this perpetuate
0: attitude in paganism? Paganism just can't shake the bad rap. And let's, let's kind of like fast forward. So we have like the ancient Greeks practicing paganism, and then you have um, the Middle Ages. Is there anything notable happening with paganism during the Middle Ages? From my understanding, the pagans were kind of outside the feudal system altogether. They kind of lived on the outskirts of these feudal areas. How were they seen? Because I know that, um, you know, Jews were definitely not seen as, in the best of light during the Middle Ages. I'm wondering how how were pagans, uh, pagans seen during the Middle Ages?
1: So to me, with reading it, it's actually men and women that were actually a holistic doctor or a holistic therapist. You had a problem and you couldn't really go to the church and talk about it. So you had to go somewhere else.
0: Got to go somewhere to get that bubonic plague solved.
1: Right. And so people made herbs and people did potions and people wrote different books on it and practiced very holistic things that if the church doesn't condone, then it's evil. And so I think that's where, again, we go back to this very, you know, structure, you know, and I get it. A part of this structure was to keep people alive, to keep people in line, you know, and I get that. But at the same time, not everyone was out to get anyone. I mean, there were, you know, women that were doulas that were, you know, just being midwives. They were just helping women give birth naturally. Nothing, nothing Nothing, you know, devilish there. That that understanding of wanting um, certain men of power, certain uh, devoted women in science as nurses or doctors or practitioners there in the Middle Ages. That it was only them that have those answers. It was only them that could really make those decisions. And anyone that got in their way, you kind of got
0: burnt at the stake. That's now. Now this is very interesting because it's like perhaps now, would you consider alchemy to also be a part of paganism? Did that kind of go hand in hand? Okay. So you have these doctors that are pagan in nature and they, you know, may or may not be healing people, but there's, there's maybe a chance, maybe there is some kind of ointment. Like let's just say, for example, I scratch my leg and it's about to get infected. Maybe by some chance, the pagan doctor comes and he rubs some healing ointment and it actually works. Is it like? Is it basically like the church is getting a bit jealous of this, saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We can't have anybody curing cuts with ointments or herbs that they found in the forest. You have to kind of just be—we're—we're we're the only doctors. We're—you know—we're—we're we're like the the giant HMO that solves everything. We can't have any other doctors coming here and healing things."
1: From from what I've read, that's really my interpretation. It, it's really that. These are the structures. And if you do not follow the rules, then chances are you got this because you were punished. You got this because of your family, or you got this because of your class system, or you got this because of something. And if you stepped out of that and went another way, you were going against your society. You were going against your God. You were going against Jesus. You were going against your you know, religious sector. And so because you were falling through that, you were going into no man's land. You know, you were going into the unknown, which, you know, in in society was just like not heard of. You just don't do that. Uh, I just also wanted to point out that we have to think of also at that time, men and women that were not getting married. Mm. If you were independent and single in the Middle Ages, there was something wrong with you. (laughs) I mean, no doubt. I mean, if if you really want to go, you know, into that, you know, they they conspired and interrogated and tortured people to want to know what is wrong with you. Why Why are you in the forest all the way over there on your own? Why are you secluded? Why are you not married? Why do you not have children? Why have you not been baptized?
0: Right, right. All so those things. So it's this idea. And there was also this idea in the Middle Ages of indulgences. So you could basically uh, pay money and get your sins forgiven. And this was actually a huge source of... Uh, revenue to the Catholic Church during the Middle Ages. You do something wrong, you cheat on your wife, but then you pay, you go to confection, you pay the church, uh, the, the church a bunch of money, and now you're not going to hell. So, in a way, the paganism is kind of leading people away from necessarily like directly repenting or directly dealing w- with their sins. Because if, if somebody can use like an ointment to get that scar or to get that infection away it's causing them to not seek their salvation directly from the church and in turn grapple with their sins.
1: Well, we're not there yet, but I mean, I'm thinking if you want to go the light, natural, good, quote unquote, paganism, that's really the route I felt it was to just nurture things around them, you know, really worship the elements you know, be just a very down to earth, you know, it's funny, but (laughs) hey, enjoying my pun, you know, just down to earth way of worshiping and just didn't want to follow that societal
0: structure. That's interesting. So let me, when, when you say the pagans were living separately, were they at all nomadic or did they actually have their own places in Europe where they just permanently congregated?
1: That I don't really know. I really think some were in hiding and kind of had double lives, maybe. Um, I know that there were some in the woods living, you know, nomadically or, t- or travelers, really. Mm. That I don't have a particular idea.
0: As I, think, I think there's a good reason because they probably did not want their whereabouts to be too well known. Like if it was established that, you know, the pagans are all living in modern day Sweden, I'm just throwing that out as an example. <laughs> it's like, then then people may have hunted them down, or maybe they would have been forced to convert. So kind of keeping their whereabouts on the down low, or, or constantly being, a, being in a state of travel, and living this very transient nature may have protected them in some way.
1: Yes, I mean, it, it, definitely in the Middle Ages, you did have to follow a certain route, or you had to do what you had to do. And, you know, the
0: lifespan of a person wasn't very long, either. You had to stay alive at all costs. So we're in the Middle Ages. And let's fast forward now to, let's say, uh, the Salem witch trials, right? This is like another big encounter that we have with paganism in the form of... Now, the Salem witch trials make me really scratch my chin, because you've got a pretty much... Christian nation, Christian, Christian society. How is someone even like accused of being a witch or how is someone outed as, as being a witch in, 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 you know, like the, and then we're talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the middle ages where, you know, paganism has formally kind of died down at this point. So I'm wondering how is there this uh, revitalization of, of, of witchcraft, if you would.
1: Hmm. Revitalized. I would say that as a person that is from women that have passed down parrot in my family, I would say it's something that was passed down very hush, hush, very quiet. Um, So I think it is something that lived, but was just very much under the surface. Maybe again, to my viewpoint, I think it was the next step for women speaking. Hmm. I mean, I, I can't, At this point, I can only come up with what's in my mind, which was things that you were on trial for were ridiculous. They they said that if you had too many moles, you might be part of the devil.
0: That's interesting. And that's something that that's something that (laughs) Disney, because if you look at the Disney witches, they also have many moles on their face.
1: So it's like that we know now with science that it's a genetic thing. It's just part of the body. It happens. But they're saying that that's signs of it. Um, You know, if you, I think there were certain parameters for bathing and for dressing. If you got caught, there's a question if you're into witchcraft. For women, if women um, gathered together for reasons of suspicion, that's another thing. I mean, unless you're making a baby, cooking and knitting there really wasn't a reason for you to to gather together so that's another thing where honestly I think that it was fear of patriarch it was keeping the women also in line and maybe that is where why Salem is so just thought-provoking and fascinating is because of just the level of women that were being just prosecuted and tortured and killed and I think it's that was like the stance of like, maybe we're doing this wrong, or maybe this really isn't about evil. I really, I really think at that point it was really women just becoming just more independent, and actually were just being prosecuted, like just prosecuted for it. Because again, if you're a female practitioner, you're not a doctor. Only men are doctors.
0: Hmm. So this, this is so this is a, an interesting shift from the Middle Ages because in the Middle Ages, male or female, you're prosecuted for being a pagan, right? But now, but now when we shift to the Salem witch trials, it's, there's no longer, there's like sorcerer, there's no sorcerer that's being prosecuted anymore. It's only witches. It's sort of like a covert way of just going after women's rights. So it's not, it's not so much that they're the ones that are, you know, spreading evil versions of alchemy. It's just like, all right, like we have women that are congregating, maybe they're reading a few too many books in that cottage over there and having too many enlightened ideas. Let's just kind of paint them as witches, whether that's true or not true. And that's just kind of a way to, to silence their voice.
1: Yes, I, I think you summed it up great. Because I mean, I, I'm sure that there were some men that were trialed, but honestly, there were more women. Another thing is remember in Christianity, there's no cheating. Right, Yes. So even if you were a woman that was just, you know, happy to be with multiple men Mm, mm. and you were caught doing that, that's it. You know, I mean, we have to think of every part of Christian law. And if you did not by that law, that's what they put you in. They just put you as a deviant, a part of the problem of the community. And therefore you move into that direction. So I think it was used as a scapegoat to just get rid of all the unwanted, you know, I mean, we haven't even touched up on, sadly, people of disability. Right. If you only had one eye or if you were blind, then, oh, you're cursed. That's,
0: no, I mean, no. that's <laughs> like, that, <so>, really? <laughs> no, no, this is really, like, blowing my mind because, in other words, like, okay, on the Mayflower, for example, there may have been pagans on that Mayflower, but they were just keeping it on the down low. So they may have been wearing a cross on the outside. They may be outwardly reading the Holy Bible because they would never have allowed an outwardly pagan person on that boat. They would have been like, no, 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 no way. But there may have been pagans on the Mayflower and successive books, uh, books, (laughs) successive boats that came to the new world. And there may, there were probably pagans on there. And then once they got to the new world, then they kind of just like abandoned the the facade or the pretense of, of being Christian. And they kind of went about their pagan ways. And do you think that there were women who, who maybe just fashioned, like like just enjoyed having multiple partners, but they didn't necessarily follow any other, you know, any of the other tenets of, of being a pagan? They just, they just liked you know, being with many yes. men. Okay.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying. And I mean, even your little outburst, you have to think of it, in my perspective, again, we have seen that paganists are very open. So to them, they would not see it as Oh, I'm betraying my gods by now wearing this cross, by wearing this uniform, by holding this Bible and going to America. No, they would say, this is my path. This is where I am led. And I know that, you know, the God of the sea is going to take us there. The God of the sun is going to heat us and guide us there. And this God that they are talking about is the gods that I worship. So therefore. I don't feel guilty of what I'm doing. I am surviving. But the flip side of that as a Christian, they would say, no, you must only believe in one. You must only accept Jesus as your savior and that's it. So you cannot follow anything else. Hmm. Otherwise that's heresy.
0: So there may have been pagans that like, even liked some of what they read in the Bible. They may may have like read and be like, oh wow, this Jesus guy says some really awesome things here. And they, they, they may even adapt some of that. And they don't see wearing the cross as a betrayal of their pagan heritage. They just see, they just have like this worldview where they can just kind of mix all of these religions together, you know, without any prejudice.
1: Correct. They can adapt what they choose to adapt. I, I think that, that is really what many paganists do. And, and it's kind of like, I I feel that you can attach yourself, you know, to this, this code for safety and survival. And that's why, you know, I hope that you can, you know, hear it, that I'm very compassionate about it because these are times that you and I were not in.
2: Right. You can
1: only like really imagine what people are, are going through and wanting to find meaning, wanting to find community, wanting to find structure in their life. However, it's just sad that we're still trying to put each other in boxes.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, even one of the the books that just ran through my head was The Scarlet Letter, in, in, in the sense that, like, it, it's this idea that if you're not, if you're not following a a certain convention then there's something wrong with you, or there there's something inherently evil with you. And, and I I think, I I think there's a lot of danger in that kind of thought. And you might like, we, we, we might disagree about certain things. Like I, I, you know, someone might say, well, I believe in monogamy. I, I believe in like just, you know, marriage and so forth. But I think that there's always a danger when you don't have a curiosity about other things. Or, and then you could even take it a step further not having a curiosity about things, but, but then even damning it as being evil or something other. Whereas I, I think that kind of like a code of tolerance is just to have a never-ending curiosity about everything.
1: I think that's why I got into trouble a lot, you know, (laughs) uh, because I asked a lot of questions, you know, growing up about Jesus and, you know, his abilities. And, and I I had often asked, you know, other Christians, you know, how come there isn't more text by women? How how come we don't read that? How do, how come we don't have their voices? You know, Mm -hmm. we only have one, one or two stories that are really like epic and that's about it. And, you know, when we think of paganism, there's many gods and many goddesses. And we're supposed to really worship and see each one for their own uniqueness and their own abilities. And altogether, together, all together, they're all powerful, right? And so I was very fascinated by that. Um, you know, and, and I just never understood why, and this is, again, me, If I if I do, and I am a believer of Jesus and of God, Universal power. Why would God be upset with me if I wished to just observe and really honor the physical earth? Let, let me let me just honor the ocean. Let me honor the grass. Let hmm. me honor the animals that you made or we made together these gods and goddesses. So, you know, when I think, I get that way it's like a rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, yeah. these are the things that I've thought of that what was the fear?
2: Mm.
1: What what was the fear behind these pilgrim men, these puritans to judge and really condemn so many women and men for just voicing out or even questioning or just doing something different? the community
0: do you think it has to do i I mean one possible answer is this idea of idol worship in 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 the old testament like when moses comes down after the ten commandments uh the israeli you know the the ancient hebrews are worshiping like a golden calf and this is like seen as a giant no-no to kind of embody god in any kind of physical incarnation so i think perhaps that's an answer as to why there is like so somewhat of a backlash to paganism because there is there there, there is some kind of very visceral and, and physical representation of godlike de- de- deities, whereas in the in the Abrahamic tradition it should not be something that you can see.
1: Correct. We can also put that into the actual cross symbol. We can put that into the act- actual carvings of Jesus. Th- those should technically not exist then. No, I'm just giving you that directness too, because it's like, I get it. And I know that with the ox, it was the symbolism of the ox and also the sacrifice of animals. God, that is why in Christianity, it is said that that is one of the reasons Jesus came forth is to eliminate that structure of killing these animals and sacrificing them in the name of Mm, mm, Which mm. I found fascinating, too, because when we look at the dark side of paganism, they always sacrifice something.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, it's interesting you mention this because about the cross and things like that is that one of the hugest, one of the biggest schisms in, in Christianity was between the Eastern Orthodox And, you know, like during the Byzantine empire over the issue of religious icons, like even having these icons was like a huge debate where it was, you know, it was believed that no, you should not have any kind of imagery whatsoever. And, you know, I I guess the Catholic church would argue that during the middle ages, stained glass windows, for example, helped Mm -hmm. those who were illiterate. Understand the Bible, so that, that's kind of where that that kind of like I, like stay like the, these icons come from in the sense that like if you're a peasant and you've never learned how to read the Bible. When a priest or a pastor is talking, the only way that you could understand these stories is if the priest would point to the stained glass window and be like, and this is when uh, Moses was doing blah, blah, blah. So it's interesting that we've selectively made exceptions to like some of these like, you know, images and so forth for for. I I, I, w- I would say it probably helped people learn right from like a pedagogical standpoint. Like having like you know some people learn through the auditory and some people learn through visual images. But it's interesting that even in, in in the monotheistic religions, these exceptions are made.
1: Yes, and it's you know it is confusing. It is confusing to to decipher what is acceptable and what isn't, and you know what's forgotten and what isn't, and you know what can we practice now in modern times, which is, you know, or ancient. And I like that. We are talking about this today because it's, it's something that is very refreshing because I'm with you that we continue that. In, in churches, we have the stained you know glass, we have the statues, but we're not necessarily putting our devotion into that physical object. We okay. have that awareness that it's a statue and it's not the real being there. I, mm. I mean, I don't know about you, but as a as an empath and as a person that feels, I can go into a church and I could feel that presence. I could feel the difference mm,
2: mm. of
1: that embodiment of that building. I really yes. can. And, when, and then when I go to a Buddhist temple to meditate, I feel that vibration of those people in meditation and in mantra, you know? So it's just this kind of thought of, how do you worship it can be so many different things. It doesn't have to be just sitting there praying over this statue could mm, mm. be just simply in being in, in yourself, in, in prayer or in meditation, whatever that is. And that's where, you know, maybe that was questionable with paganists because, you know, they didn't have a lot of places of worship. They worshiped at home or they worshipped where they could.
0: Right, 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 right. I guess, I guess it all falls down to your relationship. Like, I guess if you see the stained glass window, I'm just thinking about what you're saying as just like a learning tool. Then you're not directly worshiping it. Like, like I'm not bowing down and saying that that stained glass window has magical powers over me. Like, you know, like if, or if I throw a right. rock through it, you know, like it's kind of just like okay, this is just a depiction of an event. That happened. I'm not actually praying to that window itself. So I think it's this idea of not worshiping like inanimate objects for the you know like and believing that they the inanimate object itself has magical powers and separating that from just that is a depiction of something magical that happened.
1: Yes, and I, I think that might be another difference between Christian Christian teachings of the Bible versus pagan. I think uh, in paganism. It is taught to really go inward and to find the power within you versus the power of God. And I mean, I am I'm am of the thought that it is universal. I, I feel that both are literally saying in different contexts the same thing. And it is our choosing, our free will, of which one we really want to believe. What do we really? resonate with and follow Mm,
2: mm. but
1: the whole killing and judging and persecuting just needs to stop okay (laughs) we just just need to stop it's 2020 just just need to yeah, stop there.
0: <laughs> yeah that, that, yeah, that's, that's, a, that, no, whether God exists in the inside or whether he's external to us, these, this is a question I, I, I can't, you know, I can't answer. I don't know if anyone can possibly answer these questions. But yes, I agree with you, like the, uh, the persecution, all that stuff needs to stop 100%. So we get after the Salem witch trials. And I, I, I think I think you shed a lot of positive, you know, some good light on this and, and showing how, it wasn't just a like, you guys are devil worshipers, but there's also kind of a, there's a huge congregation of women doing this and we don't really want women to have uh, this power right now. And that might be at play over here. What, what ends up happening a, as, uh, you know, after the Salem witch trials, like we don't really hear of paganism again. What, what really goes on uh, between then and now?
1: Well, I think the population was definitely smaller. So I think, again, you know, it's going under the surface. Mm. I think it was then maybe more organized because definitely what I've seen in tarot is that just in practicing tarot and publishing it, many organizations were the form to produce and publish tarot cards, uh, at least here, Mm. Um, I'm saying in in the Western world from 18, 19th century and on. So I think what happened truly is that they really went underground and got together and decided like, Hey, we're just going to start creating our own organizations and our own groups and our own place of, of quote unquote worship. And you're just going to have to have a private invitation an invitation only with our own structure and password, you know, because we don't want to, you know, deal with this side anymore. And I mean, You could even say, is that really um, more about business, Hmm. you know, the formation of the business side of it because of church, you know, and how they've maintained themselves. But that's really only my take. I mean, I think they really had to rebuild from the ground up of so many people being persecuted and having that fear of being outed, you know, and being hunted.
0: Yes, yes, and I think it was you that told me this, or maybe I read it somewhere. That when tarot cards come out and and paganism kind of shifts to a to a different form, it actually becomes like a hobby of the like upper middle class and maybe even the wealthy uh, to some extent, because I think that you know I, I i think of these ideas of these like very wealthy women wearing all of this jewelry going to the fortune teller to be like you know oh will i be in the will or will i get my husband's inheritance and all this other stuff so it's interesting that it it kind of goes from being on the underground and then it kind of gets co-opted by the ultra wealthy as this like alternative like hobby
1: yeah i think i elaborated about the history of tarot so yeah. uh in tarot it is said that they came from Italian playing cards, which were from the wealthy. And then certain astrologers in France and Italy, they created divination and made those cards. But you're correct. I mean, through the 19th century, there were men in stocks men investing, contacting psychics and carrots to say, what are the lucky numbers? When is a good time to invest? When is it a good time to get out? And, you know, because we didn't have computers. So (laughs) this was used for that. And that's where I'm saying there is a, a darker side of paganism. There is a darker side of practicing witchcraft that is there. And it's for various reasons. And The only reason why I say that it is quote-unquote bad is because it's at the sake of somebody else. It's an exchange of really harming on an energetic, physical, spiritual, emotional level to someone else. Good is more of a healing component.
0: You know, it's funny because I'm actually seeing what you're saying now a lot more with the men and women thing because in the 19th and perhaps early 20th century, if a bunch of rich dudes start getting into this, now it becomes legit, right? Like when the rich guy is like, yeah, I'm gonna use this this tarot card reading to pick what stocks are gonna go up in the stock market. Then suddenly that's okay, right? Then witchcraft is totally cool if it can get me wealthier. But then if it's a bunch of women, Uh, practicing it in a cottage. Whoa, 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 that's satanic devil worship.
1: (laughs) Well, we also start getting into the movies and they make it mysterious and spooky with seances and are there spirits, are there ghosts, you know, and having that part of it. And that's where, you know, it makes it more alluring and interesting, but still you don't quite know about it really.
0: Yes. And I think, I think actually, Houdini does a really good job of like, he's not, I wouldn't call him a pagan, but he sort of like brings legitimacy to magic or, or just other, other realms of things, like curiosity. I think, I think Houdini allows like curiosity and this idea of dabbling with magic or the unknown. And, and maybe that creates a broader acceptance for fortune tellers and, 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 and that, because I think that, that becomes like a part of the pop culture of the 1920s, like to a huge extent. Yes, I agree. We, When we have, I I think that a lot of us view things with suspicion until the elites or people who we perceive to be powerful start doing it. Once they start doing it, then any kind of negative connotation that's attached to it begins to kind of just drip away. And for whatever reason, I don't know why this is, it seems like after the 1950s, paganism then went back into being something dark and spooky again. And I'm wondering why that is like we, we it's it's interesting that in some ways we were more enlightened about paganism in the 1920s. But then in the you know, after the 50s, we somehow we somehow fall back into a dark age. I'm wondering what happened.
1: Well, hold on, hold on. We have the 60s where and I wouldn't say <laughs> that it's I wouldn't say that it's like tied to paganism, but it's definitely that attitude. What about free love?
2: Hmm. What
1: about meditation and psychedelic drugs that Finding yourself, man, you know, like being part of a community, like all of that is still on that realm. It's not saying, hey, you got to sit down, you got to pray, you got to keep your head down. You, no, it was about, you know, standing up to the man. It was about voicing a collective community about human rights, about civil rights, about really coming together. I still think that is, again, a very huge slogan of paganism and, and all of those umbrellas in there.
0: that That's interesting. Cause I've always viewed the counterculture as like, you have like a guy like, like Alan Watts. And I always see that as like borrowing from like Eastern Buddhism in the sense, like of, of, <laughs> um, of, of, cause I see meditation and mindfulness as being like an Eastern thing that we borrowed. Tell me, tell me what about the counterculture specifically comes from paganism? Like I, I'm curious. if Well, you could... in,
1: in Eastern. Tibetans have multiple deities, female and they're male. They have multiple hands and multiple heads. And, you know, they, they conjure one of my favorite uh, goddesses is Kali. Kali is evil. She's, she's all of hurricanes and storms and devastation, but you need that in order to find rebirth, right? You Mm. have to struggle. You have to kind of, Destroy a sense of yourself to become anew. And so that is one of their deities there. Now, I know that that's also part of Hinduism as well, you know, that they have Kali, but that's a perfect e- example there that Christians would say that's not appropriate because there's multiple deities. But Tibetans don't necessarily worship, they have a shrine mm. where they put things out. But in Buddhism, they do not worship the Buddha. They worship mindfulness. They, they really honor removing the ego and becoming really one and enlightened, all-knowing. And so that's removing all attachments
0: to life. This is interesting because I think that maybe in the 1960s, Eastern philosophy Kind of gets clumped in with paganism. I think this is a critical. I think this is like a distinction here. Whereas maybe before then, we actually just saw it as as something that that happened in the East. But now, that kind of gets fused into this in some way, and and simply for the reason being that there's multiple gods. At least like with Hinduism, um, there, there is you know some some Hindus would argue that Brahma is all of these gods, and it's really a monotheistic religion. But that, that that's a whole other dis- discussion. But it's interesting that that the eastern religions get clumped in with paganism and that that kind of creates a a whole nother set of culture where now it's not only the european version of paganism but now the eastern world is also kind of clumped into that same box under the counterculture
1: i'm only doing that right now because it's technically by that definition it's not just one god there are many gods and that's the only reason why i'm doing that but i mean really thank god where we are because honestly we got into yoga (laughs) can you imagine if we time ported the pilgrims into now and they see women in in pants doing yoga and all that they would be like oh my god the devil won you know (laughs) and it's like no
0: (laughs) but that's interesting because i think when Indian women alone were doing yoga, it probably had some bad connotations, but then all of a sudden you had some really upper class women that, that, and I, when I think of, I live in New York, I think where the first yoga studios opened, they probably opened up in some fairly affluent areas. And it's like when the affluent class started doing yoga, it was only then that that no longer became like a taboo thing. It became, oh, this is a healthy version of exercise.
1: Correct. It was actually uh, two uh, men gurus from India.
0: And Uh, one of
1: them came over to the United States, I think, in the early 50s, I think. And that's when we started really accepting and being open to uh, yoga. And there were seminars and photographs. I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but he has a wonderful book. The Beatles all read it. You know, there's a great Netflix documentary, so there's enough for you to find it. But um, you know, the the imp- it's it's interesting that that was not condemned,
0: right? Yes, right. Yes.
1: Like, and we go again with questioning. Okay, why is that
0: acceptable? That yeah, no, the, this the, this is this is interesting, and I, I would argue now now leaving the '60s and moving on to today. I feel like yoga and Buddhism have once again separated from paganism. It's interesting because I, I see it kind of as a zigzag. So maybe in the '60s they were like people were confused or they just didn't differentiate between the two and they were clumped in the same box. I think as we get into the '70s, '80s, '90s, and 2000s, yoga becomes yoga. It just it becomes like its thing, and and Buddhism yep. Buddhism becomes its own thing. But now. Paganism has become its own thing once again, and this time it's once again in the negative light of this is, these are evil people that go out in the woods and they sacrifice animals, you know, like it has all of these very negative connotations. Now that we've kind of separated the Eastern religion stuff out of it, why, why again has it gotten this negative rap? And I'm talking, let's say 2000 and above.
1: Well, I think it's about who's talking about it. Okay. And I think only now, you know, I love that. I love the motto, you know, 2020, 20 vision. <laughs> I, I really love that. That's a very spiritualist kind of motto right now where light workers, the people that work through the light are really showing the, the evil they're showing the the darkness of the world. And I don't know. I feel like we, as a human species, are very attracted to fear and the dark and the unknown. And I mean, that's all well and good that we should know about it. But I, I agree with you, it shouldn't be the only thing that we know about it. And mm. quite honestly, at least here in the United States, you know, we come with a very sense of gluttony. We're just known for it. We overeat. We're overweight. We're overstressed. We're overtired. Mm. And we look for all these different things to kind of better ourselves. So I think that this is a part of that. It's really showing this dark side uh, of humanity. Now, why is it always with paganism? You know, I think it's just through the history that we've just uncovered. Mm. Uh, But I also think right now, at least in my profession as a tarot reader, I'm seeing it and I... I'm so thankful and want to say thank you to all the brave people out there that are really putting out their energy, doing Reiki, doing massage, you know, doing yoga, doing uh, psychic abilities. All these people that are really projecting that and, and showing these different ways of healing is really the goodness, is showing that you can heal inward and you don't need anything external. Now the negative of paganism is the external. It's what can I get out of you? Can I manipulate in you? What can I get you to do for me? And exchange, I receive power, I receive reputation, I receive fame, I receive all these different things that are really about I, about ego. And so I think that's why it's in this limelight because people are asking all these things that have gone through history, I mean, to me, honestly, I see it in in regards to reincarnation. I see it as we're just in this big cycle that's just looping over and
0: over and over again. And as a tarot reader,
1: I'm looking at it as when the hell are we
0: going to learn? I'm latching on to what you said now about the external stuff. So I think maybe paganism threatens like materialism in some way maybe because like if there's for example if I can just do yoga and and again like like I said I think in the 2000s maybe yoga became its own thing but if I engage in some form of paganism and that kind of completes me and that kind of takes me away from like material cravings then that might pose as like a danger to our society and maybe that's why it's it's getting this like very negative tint because it's telling people, hey, you don't really need all this stuff. You can kind of be happy in nature. And that that kind of conflicts with our you need to buy a bigger house sort of mentality.
1: Well, I'm gonna get into it. How about Aaron, you are the man that you are because you define the man that you are. You're not defined by Tommy Hill figure. You're not defined by the models of what a man should be. You don't have to put on some certain cream to have beautiful firm skin. You don't have to own a specific vehicle to feel as if you're a man or a particular house. Thank you. I just love status. I love
0: myself so much more now.
1: <laughs> good. I hope you do because I mean these are the messages that are executed out that you're not good enough.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think when you get down to earth you realize that all of that is an illusion.
0: Yes. There's something, you know, you, you're, you're spe- I like what you're speaking. It reminds me, I was just like uh, a few months ago, I was on a trip with, you know, with my girlfriend in Maine and I was looking at these trees and I was looking at just nature. Right. And I wasn't practicing paganism. I was just appreciating nature. And it kind of like, when you're looking at nature, you don't really focus on like what brand car you're driving. You know what I mean? Like the tree and the power of looking at a tree and a power of looking at a mountain negates that I drove like a, a Dodge or something like that, right? Like you don't care about a Mercedes when you're awe and inspired by that of nature.
1: I mean, when you look at the moon, you're enamored with the moon on how it looks. And then you think about and say, oh man, you know, we had a man land on the moon,
0: Yeah, yeah. You think
1: about that. You think about how significant that is. You not only are honoring the nature, but you see how far we've come. When we look at the the trees, the trees have been here a lot longer than us, and it's survived. It doesn't need us. We're not sitting there watering the tree. (laughs) I mean, we can if we want to, but it's it's there just fine, you know, and that's, that's the observations that I think we've lost touch with. Where yes. we're so enamored with technology we're so enamored with what's going on everywhere where when you slow down even just a little bit you find this connection that you and I can't even really express enough there's just not enough words to really have that inner feeling and inner knowing like you did
0: yes yes i Fedra, I think that's a great place to leave off. Thank you so much for being on the show day and and giving our listeners and myself a, a nice intro to paganism.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that people will get more in touch.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. This concludes the 52nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.